first of all, I'd like to welcome Sarah Foster here from Perth and Olga, Olga, where we are, Lorenzo, who has been here 20 years ago and returns. <laughs> Yay. Thank you for having me. Okay, but I'm going to start with um, Sarah Foster and her book, All That Is Lost Between Us. Well, Listening out there, you probably know about sprinting and jogging and orienteering and cross-country running, but have you ever heard of fell running? Sarah Sarah Foster has 17-year-old Georgia fell running, and Sarah's going to start with a little read about Georgia's thoughts on fell running. It was a sport unlike any other. Competitive racing through this ever-changing mountainous terrain that might see her scrabbling up grassy banks, balancing along jagged rocky summits, negotiating waterfalls and sliding down scree slopes. It was racing that might take hours, even days at the most competitive levels, and required her to pack water, sustenance, wet weather gear, a map, a compass and a whistle. It was an activity that challenged her body and cleared her mind, while nature pushed her to her limits and called her as witness to its treasures, from the tiny songbirds and shy red squirrels that hid in the forests to the vast rocky peaks that shone like steel above verdant valleys shimmering in sunshine. Mm. Now, that's terrain that is not from Perth and that's where you're from now. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's definitely not from Perth. (laughs) So why this book there? Um, I had the Lake District in mind for quite a long time because it really paralleled another book I'd written a few years ago called Beneath the Shadows. And I was kind of looking for a story that suited it. And when Georgia came along with her big secret, um, I thought, yeah, I can really see her running across this terrain and the landscape becoming part of the story. Oh, part of the atmosphere. Yeah. And one of the places she runs is past a corpse stone that has quite a bit in it. Tell us what a corpse stone is. Yeah, well, the corpse stone um, actually is such a significant part of my book that the book was called The Spirit Road for quite a long time Um, because the corpse stone and the spirit road worked together and it was this ancient track where people used to carry their dead so that they could be buried in consecrated ground rather than burying in the outlying villages. This is hundreds of years ago. And the corpse stone was somewhere they would lay them lay these coffins down to rest while they took a break from this pretty arduous journey. And to me, it really symbolised some of the modern day things that were going on in my story as well, the metaphorical journey of my characters. And I loved those different associations. Mm, absolutely, because this bit of road, uh, there's quite a lot that happens on that. But back to more earthly matters. Georgia, of course, has got two parents, Anna and Callum. They've got very responsible jobs, haven't they? They certainly have, yeah. Anna is the school psychologist and Callum, as well as being an engineer, is also the team leader for the mountain rescue team. So they're both very busy people um, and they both do very important, responsible jobs, but neither of them are quite sure how to connect with their child. That's right. Well, both of you, both George is 17 and Zach. How old is Zach? That's right, Zach's 13. 13. So they're used to helping others in their jobs, but... um, They think about, well, Anna, Anya thinks about her own family. This is a quote from the book. What right do we have to assume that genetics, a communal living space and an array of shared memories give us unfettered access to one another? They really don't know what what, what anyone's doing in the family, do they? Not at all, no. Um, I loved playing with those different problems, yeah. So you've written this book, All That Is Lost Between Us, It's got an interesting voice that you've written it in. 
Well, I've written it in from the perspectives of all four characters, but one character, Anya, the mother, I chose to write in first person. And I wasn't even quite sure why I started to do that. But as I got, it just came really naturally. But as I got further into the book, I realised that not only was I highlighting her perspective in the story, but I was also isolating her role in the story, which Mm. was such a great parallel for the position she feels in as a mother trying to cope with her children. Yeah. So back to the story. Over the summer holidays, uh, Georgia and her best friend Sophia haven't really seen each other. And before they go back to school, Georgia is desperate to tell Sophia her secret. Just tell us about how that secret is um, boiling up inside her. Okay, I'll just read you a very short piece on the secret. For a few glorious weeks, having such a secret had felt wild and delicious, making every day a little sweeter. But it was a shapeshifter, a bubble of trouble lightly fizzing in her hands to begin with, only later revealing itself as a bomb. She couldn't hold on to it any longer. She couldn't carry on alone, afraid of what might be about to explode in her face. She had to tell Sophia now. But she's walking down the spirit road with another friend, Danny, and she wants to tell Sophia, but before she can, da-da-da-da, this is the beginning of the book, so I'm not giving anything away. (laughs) What happens? So before she can tell um, her cousin her secret, there's a hit and run down this dark country lane and which leaves Sophia severely injured. Mm. And it's the aftermath of this hit and run that really starts to uh, reveal this chain of secrets that have been going on for a few months. Mm. And the other chap that's walking, oh, there's Sophia and Georgia and Danny. And Danny thinks the car was aiming at Georgia. Yeah. <gasps> da 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 <laughs> Now there's Zach, there's uh, younger brother Zach, whose best friend up until just recently has been his cousin Maddie. What's caused the friendship there to um, break down? Yeah, unfortunately, Zach has developed a bit of a crush on his step cousin, Mm. (laughs) which is very awkward. But Zach's life as a 13 year old is pretty much one of embarrassment. (laughs) Poor guy. Um, He was such a joy to write because he was such a lovely character. But yeah, he just goes through all these humiliating circumstances in the book. So uh, instead of sort of spending time with his uh, step cousin Maddie, who's sort of growing, growing hips and growing curves, and while he hasn't grown anything, uh, he has to sort of do with his the closest neighbour Cooper, who really is quite different to uh, Zach. They're young teens with screens. You know, uh, Cooper's keen on playing the black ops games, and you know when he gets a chance, he actually puts porn on um, on poor Zach's internet. Now at school. Zach's, they've all been told, just be careful of privacy on the internet. And one mistake can impact the rest of the lives as there was a nude shot. But it is his fault that his secret goes viral. Oh, this whole kids with screens. Mm. Yeah, I really wanted to examine some of the complexities of what is happening to the kids having to cope with not only screens but World Wide Web access 24 hours a day. Um, And it would be hard to write a story now, I think, where the teenagers were cut off from that. So it had to be part of my story, really. Yeah, even though they are quite remote out there in the Lakes District. Well, we've spoken a little bit about... um, Georgia and Zach's mum. Now she is the school psychologist, so she's used to she used to dealing with problems. Although she can't deal with them in her own home because her daughter won't talk to her. <laughs> the dad, Callum, what's his job? 
So he's team leader of the Mountain Rescue Unit, which essentially takes him out of the house most of the time that he's not at work, which is has begun to suit him down to the ground because him and Anya have developed these communication mm-hmm. gaps as well. So he really goes into the darker side of the Lake District as well and looks at things that happen on the mountains. I can't believe there's so many people who go up into the mountains so unprepared. It's once a day there's an accident on the mountains and they're going and rescuing them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too because you've given us two types of characters. You've given us the older couple that just had an injury and needed, um, which was really exciting reading, I might might add. But there was also the other one where a father and son, the son is injured and the father is really cross with Callum because he thought that Callum could rescue his son before he was so badly injured. So, mm. yeah, I felt that uh, that's quite a typical reaction is looking for someone to blame. His father, the father of this injured boy, has tremendous guilt about what happened and he's looking around for who you might blame from the Lake District Authority, Callum, yeah, whoever else Callum gets dragged into that as well. So, this father has joined the volunteer unit and is a threatening presence to Callum. Oh, so we wonder could he, you know, could he be behind the car? Mm. And then, then talking about this volunteer unit, there's Danielle. Yes, well, Danielle, unfortunately, has become another distraction for Callum and um, is really going to challenge him to see how much he wants to keep his marriage on track. So there's another element going on. Yeah, when Callum breaks with her, there's the threat (laughs) from Danielle. This isn't over yet. Ooh, da da. Now, the state of their marriage, um, look, you mentioned that it became silent, you know, the whole thing that there was no touching. And this is Anya's words. The silences crept into our, to our conversations a little at a time, stealthily. So we almost didn't notice. While we don't argue, at least a fight might be some kind of attempt at communication. It's a sad, sad relationship, isn't it? I know, yes. Oh. Now, in this, uh, we have Georgia, you know, sort of wanting to... If she wins this one last race, she's going to get sponsorship, which is pretty darn good. Yep. So you must have known quite a bit about fell running. Well, I didn't know anything about fell running before I started writing the book. And then I went to a private school there. The kids did fell running um, as part of my research. And I was just fascinated by it. So then I went completely off track researching fell running. After I'd read about the fourth autobiography on fell running, I thought, no, I've probably got enough now. (laughs) So did you actually read... Wayne Wright's definitive book on fell running, or fell walking. Oh, I did look at some Wayne Wright stuff, yeah. And there's also a book by Richard Asquith on fell running, um, which I loved. Yeah. And there's also the Bob Graham round of fell running. There certainly is. This is a fantastic um, endurance race where they run 42,000 um, feet in 24 hours, which is 42 peaks. Sorry, I think it's 27,000 feet. 24 hours, 42 peaks. And, and, oh, yeah. and when you hear about um, Georgia doing this fell running in the, with the rain coming down and she's she's grabbing on tufts of grass to, to pull herself up, it's, oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> <sighs> well, it's a distressed daughter and sister. Can the family pull together to help? Will Georgia allow it? A domestic noir set in the Lake District of England. Sarah Foster, a really good read. Thanks very much for All That Is Lost Between Us, published by Simon & Schuster. Thank you, Jan.
Now, you've got a segue. I have. You better I give have. us your segue so I can, we can bring I'll, Olga in. I'll do that. Okay, thank you, Jen. Okay, Anna O'Grady is the publicist for Simon & Schuster. And when we were, when I was arranging everything to chat with um, Sarah here, she said, oh, I'm, this is Anna O'Grady, I'm also the judge on the Women's Weekly Good Reads. And I don't know if our listeners are out there. Have you seen that little... Um, Little golden, golden sticker, sticker. Sort of circular sticker, great read by the Women's Weekly, and um, it has been given to Olga Lorenzo for her novel, The Light on the Water. But here's the other interesting thing, which could make this uh, interview um, doubly interesting or doubly exciting. Sarah's actually read The Light on the Water, <laughs> so we're going to keep the mics open and we can uh, chat if, if uh, Sarah wants to uh, come in. So, but. My book today touches on some iconic Australian tropes, both old and new. The bush, lost children, a mother's culpability and refugees. It's called The Light on the Water and the author is Olga Lorenzo. So, Olga, welcome back to 3CR. Thank you very much. We begin with Aida being lost. What has happened? Um, well... Her her mother Anne's marriage has broken down, and Anne had been planning a bushwalk um, for a while, and at the last minute, um, her ex um, hits her with that um, he doesn't want to. They've got two daughters. They've got an older daughter, and they've got this uh, 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 child um, who's got uh, intellectual challenges. Uh, the young one. I'll pronounce the name a little bit differently, if you don't mind. No, you're correct. You're actually correct. It's just that I come from a Spanish background, so I've always thought of her as Ida. But Ida. your but your pronunciation is absolutely right. So don't worry about it. Just Operatic keep going. <laughs> keep, keep going. Yes, that's right. Um, so um, so she she hadn't been planning to take. Um, uh, little Ida, who's only about six years old, into the bush, uh, but decides that maybe she can have, she was going to Wilson's prom and she can have a shorter walk with her. So she's just going to have one night. And she's doing it for herself after the marriage breakup. That's right. But Ida is six, she's special, that's how they put it these days. Mm -hmm. So there are particular challenges associated with Ida's condition. She has autism. And uh, what challenges does this uh, well present um, well she, she she seems to have a, a particular sort of um, uh, I guess autism is one of those things where you know it's 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 so hard to, to pin down she just obviously processes information very differently she's very hard to communicate with uh, she's very emotional she just sees the world in a radically different way but there are problems then for parents with these uh, offspring. Huge challenges, huge <laughs> challenges. I think I think what I was sort of looking at, though, was that it's always challenging to be a parent. It's just incredibly um, challenging, as sort of we were talking about with Sarah's book. And, and this is just sort of just taking it one step further. Well, it takes it one step further in terms of then uh, how parents react and how they cope or do not cope with such situations because then this leads into... Anne Baxter's approach, the mother. Um, so Anne, um, as we've already indicated, is already uh, struggling with her marital breakup, wants her independence. Um, but almost a year and a half after the walk, Anne is increasingly held in the cold gaze of those who are certain they know her and what's go and what is going on. Basically, Ida 
gets lost down at Wilson's prom mm. and Anne is held responsible. Mm. Now, this picks up in many ways on, um, dare I say it, the Lindy Chamberlain affair. Was that in the back of your mind at all or not? Um, slightly, very slightly. Um, I, I came to Australia as a 20-year-old in um, the early 80s and that was sort of swirling around. And I, I think it was huge uh, for the Australian psyche. I think that, you know, it... It just sort of left such a such a mark the the, the whole travail of, of Lindy Chamberlain, but Lindy has written very eloquently about her own story, as has uh, Michael Chamberlain, and I didn't in any way want to redo that or touch that. It's just that, as you say, it's just sort of. But it touches both psyche. of these elements being lost in the bush. I mean, it's iconic in Australia, um, the McCubbin painting of a child lost. And we have so much bush yeah. and, and children have been lost so often. It is sort of, it, and it's part of the Australian sort of character to sort of uh, give our children a certain amount of freedom and, 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 and let them roam. But it's going to happen anyway when there is so much bush. But it's also the trepidation of uh, we are so unfamiliar with our own country and especially when the first Europeans came, mm. they didn't know how to cope with it and mm. you just disappear into mm. it, which is what happens to Ida, mm. uh, you get the Lindy Chamberlain affair where people aren't responding as society expects them to or mm. uh, impose on them mm. a certain image. And this mm. is what happens to Anne. But there are, there's a sort of dual thing going on with Anne. It, there's the impact on her as a mother internally to avoid uh, giving her erstwhile friends more time to talk about, to be to more time to talk about, to be honest, to avoid them altogether. She does her shopping at odd hours. It's not even eight o'clock and she's considering a pyramid of apples when she sees Ida sitting in another woman's trolley. Her heart jolts. Ida, there's a psychological uh, impact on a parent in this situation. She's grieving. She's just grieving. It's just sort of, it's, it's such a terrible loss. And, and I think one of the things that I was exploring was that there's always a certain amount of guilt. I think it's sort of, I feel sometimes that part of being a mother is that no matter how much you give, how much love, how much you do, um, you're always going to fall a bit short of the mark, not only in your own expectations, but in everybody else's expectations. Um, so it seems like guilt is, is part and parcel of that. And, and this poor woman is, is grieving horrifically. She feels guilty about a whole lot of things. But the society doesn't see that necessarily. She's no. not necessarily expressing it in the way they expect her express it yes look i i'm actually sort of uh, i don't know if sort of this is what you're getting at but there when i was in my um in my late teens and and going to university i was very um affected by um psychoanalytic um ideas of um of the maternal and an ambivalence towards the maternal there was a, there were people like nancy chowderow and 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 dorothy dinnerstein who thought that because in in infancy um, the way we, we still hugely, um, it's ch shifting, thank goodness, but hugely um, uh, raise children is sort of that the mother is, is in charge of us at that time when, 
we are sort of have an abject inability to control our bowels to you know to <laughs> to, to control anything and we are it, it's sort of like it, it's almost like we um, unconsciously look back at, at it at, as, a, as a shameful time but this is very unconscious this is sort of very deep into the psyche and she theorized that we therefore have a lot of ambivalence towards the maternal and a lot of expectations for the mother to always be there for us and always do everything for us. She extrapolated from that that we um, also sort of have ambivalence towards the maternal in terms of, in terms of um, uh, the environment, that we don't look after Mother Earth enough, partly because of this ambivalence. We think Mother Earth should just be there providing for us. And, we don't, and it can fix itself. Yes, yeah. that's right, and we don't give back. So I'm, I'm, I'm exploring all those ideas of, of, of anger towards the, the mother and anger towards the maternal ambivalence. But it's her own ambivalence in many ways as well. She has, I think, also, yes, you know, she, w us mothers, women, people, dads as well, mm. we're mm. human. <laughs> you mm. know, we, we, we are, it's almost like what's, what's expected as us as parents sometimes is just, it's just sort of overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you draw this then out into a broader social uh, context. There's a dinner conversation that takes place. Um, and I'm just going to read a passage they're talking about. Oh, Debbie thinks for a moment, haven't you ever stood on an overpass and felt like throwing a rock at a car? If you could get away with it, she asks the table. There is laughter and general assent and searches inside herself. No, no, actually, she can't recall ever having that feeling, wanting to hurt a stranger with a rock from an overpass. Not in the least. She's thinking this and she misses some of the conversation, doesn't know who's laughing, who's agreeing. She can't believe they're talking about this, pretending it's an acceptable topic of conversation. This leads into talk about pedophilia and such like. And then one of the guests, as a society, Debbie says, we are intolerant of anything we consider sexually deviant, even though there's something of it in all of us. So there's all of these topics going around about pedophilia and um, antisocial behaviour. And Anne's in the middle of all of this, uh, feeling that guilt, uh, taking on board these attitudes of uh, friends, so to speak, who really don't know what she's going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's 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 so hard when you know. Um, I guess I guess one of the, one of the big things that I was looking at is sort of all the ways that we um, make people outsiders and and also who's who's inside. Um, but you know, ultimately, we're. I, th I think we we there's there's a line in the book somewhere about how we we read books to 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 touch um, somebody else's mind because we're all so isolated. We don't always know. We hardly ever know what's going on in somebody else's. But our general conversation takes on a new meaning when somebody's been through a crisis yeah. in that regard. Yeah. The other interesting thing you do is bring in the character of Nali, who's a refugee. Mm. What was your intention behind this? Well, there were two. Uh, one is that um, Anne has spent so much time suffering and grieving and obsessed with, with her own loss and her own persecution. And, and, and part of her, her character arc in a sort of literary terms, but in, 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 a, in more life terms, if she's going to sort of develop, if she's going to sort of grow beyond this crisis, she's got to sort of reconnect with people again and start 
doing what, what she actually is quintessentially her is is she she is a mother she's a caretaker she's a nurturer so when she finds these uh, young people who actually need some help she's actually able to extend herself and start trying to help them um, and and that's really important for for her development as well as for the the plot of the book but the other thing is that I'm also sort of looking at the many ways again that we um, that we exclude uh, people and and I am sort of making a comment that even though Nali's um, uh, sort of attitudes might be somewhat um, challenging for, for Anne because he's got sort of very strong ideas about what mothers should be like, um, she still feels strongly that he deserves to belong in the broader Australian community and, and she feels um, sad about uh, what this young man has gone through as an asylum seeker who hasn't been welcomed sufficiently into the Australian community. I was sort of drawing a parallel in many ways with Ida in that Nali is lost as well. He is in the bush in a world that he doesn't understand. There's a sort of, I don't know if you'd call it comic, but a nice little discussion. Um, you have a daughter, don't you? Uh, could you introduce me to her? In other words, his intention is marriage, and that's the way things are done. So you have these cultural disconnects and how things are um, approached, shall we say. But that, that, that whole notion of being lost... That's a, a beautiful observation, um, David. I, I wasn't sort of totally aware of it, but that, that is very touching the way you, um, you, you connect that. That's absolutely right. And yes. therefore, um, Anne has that opportunity then to, uh, well, do what she would have done for Ida had the circumstances uh, been appropriate. There is a common core in some ways. Um, what will you do for your child? Do you give up your life? And that is a question Nali asks of, of Anne, mm. and, and it seems to be consistent mm. across cultures mm. then in that regard. Mm. Um, so um, at the same time, we've got <laughs> we look back, Anne's relationship with her own mother is fraught. What's going on there? Well, she just had the bad luck of having um, a, a miserable mother, basically. <laughs> <laughs> she just... Uh, um, you know, came to, to motherhood challenged uh, by not having had a good example of of, of how to mother. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm playing with these ideas of sort of, you know, what what is good mothering? And, and so we've got all these different examples. And where examples. do we get that from? Is it uh, innately or taught uh, through observation experience? How is it um, imparted, mm. shall we say? We're we're complex um, uh, sort of animals, aren't we? <laughs> it's not just instinctive. We we pick up so many things in so many different ways, um, and and a lot has to do. I think sort of you're opening up the whole nature nurture mm. thing. Um, a lot of it has to do with just your heart. You know, she. Uh, do you have a good heart? Can you can you experience empathy? Mm. Uh, not a lot of people can. Some people are narcissists and have no ability to experience empathy. In some ways, is our society becoming mm -hmm. more narcissistic, mm -hmm. perhaps, in that regard? Mm -hmm. Less examples out there. Mm -hmm. And then you resolve the plot. There's a bit of a, well, I say resolve. You've got a different interpretation. A bit of conspiracy going on behind all this as well in terms of the predicament Anne is finding herself in because she's going to be charged uh, with the murder of her daughter. 
Well, she 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 is she is charged. She is yeah. charged, and and she she is arrested, and she does spend some time uh, in 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 detention, and 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 then she's yeah. I don't want to sort of give too much away, but de- definitely she spends time behind bars. Yeah. But the reason for that, in some ways, there, there, you pose a an, another agenda in there as well with her ex-husband Robert. There is something of that, um, you know. I'm, I'm sort of looking at um, at different levels of sort of power in society and how that sort of complicates things. Um, but um, it's not the it's not the only reason. It's not the, the it's not the sole thing that's well, driving. Well, the her, reader her will have to go into the book yes. and discover it for themselves. <laughs> but I should bring Sarah in. Does this conform with your reading of the book, or oh. have I got it wrong? <laughs> no, no, very much so. I think one of the things, Olga, I found so moving in your book is that Anne is in this circumstance through a series of quite benign everyday or not necessarily everyday events but you know circumstances that we can all recognize I don't want to give too much away either but um yeah you just feel this incredible pull towards her situation because you know that it's anyone could be there and yeah when you take your child for a walk yeah anything could happen Uh, it really really does give you goosebumps yeah Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that's thank you for that I I just think that um that's true when I think back at sort of having I had three children in four years and and all the times that my the children's father and I sort of nearly lost a child. It's just there, but for the grace of God. No, yeah, exactly. I, we're going to have to end we, the discussion uh, there. Oh, I was good. talking to Olga Lorenzo, the, her book The Light in the Water by Alan and Unwin. And Sarah Foster, All That Is Lost Between Us by Simon and Schuster. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.